I had complete freedom to pick what I wanted to preach about this morning. It was awesome. Because Jeremy's been preaching, and I've been away, and so I could just go anywhere I wanted. And I decided to go to the very end of Galatians. We're going to study Galatians on Wednesday night. And so I went to the very, very end, this last little bit. And if you've got your Bibles, uh, I think you might want to just go ahead and open up or flip over to in your electronic devices, Galatians chapter 6. That last little bit, Paul writes with his own hand. Usually Paul used someone to write for him. We think his eyesight was not very good. But this last little bit of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, he wrote himself, just so people would know it really came from him. And at the end, as was already read, he says these things, May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. In a lot of ways, Galatians is one of the more painful letters that Paul ever had to write. It starts off with a very angry tone. Uh, Paul, I believe, was writing to the churches that he established on what we call the first missionary journey. Antioch sends Paul and Barnabas out. They tour around what today we would call uh, south-central Turkey, mostly, that region. And they establish churches there. They suffer a lot of persecution, get into, uh, Paul nearly gets killed, uh, stoned, and, and uh, left for dead. Uh, but they establish those churches, set up elders, and almost as soon, it seems like, as Paul and Barnabas are gone, other teachers come in and start causing difficulty in the Galatian church. And Paul writes Galatians in, in, in a lot of anguish because he's afraid that the message that he tried to establish in the Galatian churches is going to be overturned by the false teachers who have come in. So he's pretty angry when he writes it, and, and, and this last part really sticks with me. He says, from now on let no one trouble me. I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. I'm sure that was an understatement. Think about what Paul's body looked like, especially by the end of his career. In uh, 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, I've been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. And he goes on, he says, I've been in danger from rivers and bandits, and I've been hungry, and I've been thirsty, and, I've, and I'm always anxious about the churches. Can you imagine what Paul's body, just his body looked like? He says, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. I think there's kind of a double whammy in what he says there, because, of course, what was the, 
the, the focus of the controversy in Galatians, in the Galatian church, had, had, was about a mark in your body. is about circumcision. If you're going to be a Christian, do you have to receive the mark of being a Jew first? You have to be circumcised, a mark in your body. And Paul says, I bear the marks of Jesus Christ. But I mean, he had, he had battle scars. He had the wounds of being faithful to Jesus Christ. And that just got me thinking. And, and I thought about what's in the book of Galatians. And I realized we can talk about three different marks of Jesus that, that Paul, I think, brings to the surface as he goes through the book of Galatians. Marks that were relevant in the first century and marks that are relevant for you and me. So that's what I wanted to focus on this morning. In verse 14 of that passage that we just read, he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Mark number one for Paul is we seek our pride and safety in Christ, not in this world. May I never boast except in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's serious. I mean, that actually runs through Galatians back in chapter 1, verse 10. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? If I, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Galatians 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then just above the section we're reading here in verses in chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, he says, Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law if they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. Paul says... It really matters where you put your pride and where you seek your security and safety. Part of the struggle in Galatians, in the Galatian church, was that people were taking pride in their keeping of the Jewish law. And that pride had actually become a barrier to fully following Jesus Christ. They were losing confidence in Christ and going back to the law of Moses. And Paul says, don't do it. Seek your safety and security. Seek your pride and boasting in Jesus Christ. What are you proud of? What are you proud of? I, uh, when I was in New Zealand, my main job there was to teach at the South Pacific Bible School. And that's a, that's a wonderful endeavor. You know, as mission outreach people, what we really want is ultimately for the, 
the churches of a place to take care of their own and to teach their own. And that's what South Pacific Bible School is. It was started by people from New Zealand, by native New Zealanders. And it's been run throughout its entirety by native New Zealanders with some help from Americans and some financial support. I'm grateful that that Wilshire has been a steady supporter for many, many years. They bring in students from all over the South Pacific, just like the name implies. This last, um, th- this last visit in my class were several different nationalities. And two that kind of stand out to me were uh, two girls from Thailand, um, Nam and Fa. I'm probably not pronouncing their names correctly. And they were beautiful girls, twin girls. Uh, They were struggling a little bit with English. And so their eyes would get very big when I would talk about Christian evidences, which is what I was there to teach, as you can imagine. And I'm not sure I connected completely to them, but they did did fine. They got A's in the course because they worked really hard. One of the assignments I gave them was just right from your culture, from your home culture, What are the reasons people give for not believing in Christ? And both of their essays were very beautiful. I asked them to give three or four reasons each, and and they were very and both of them gave one reason that I hadn't even imagined. They said Thailand is overwhelmingly a Buddhist culture. Everybody's raised but for generations people have been Buddhist. People go to the temples, they make offerings to the statue of Buddha. And he says, if you're a Christian, and they said, if you're a Christian in Thailand, people says, where is your God? We can go to the temple and see our God. It's a big statue right there. Where is your, why is your God invisible? I couldn't believe that was real, but they said, it's real. And it is hard to live as a tiny minority in a country that is so overwhelmingly given over to a different religion. I loved their testimony. They said, we can't overcome them with numbers, and so we love. We take care of the poor. These were very poor girls, but I knew what they meant. We take care of the sick. We show the love of Jesus Christ. And that's how we try to win Thailand for Christ. What are you proud of? Where is your security? If you truly put your trust in Jesus Christ... This world is going to leave its marks on you. Jesus Christ is the Lord of this world, but it's a battle. Because another spirit has taken up residence. And if you say, my boasting is not about what I can accomplish, it's not about the works that I do, my boasting is in Jesus Christ. It's not about what visible structures we as a people can erect. It's about Jesus. If you say that, this world is going to leave its mark on you. Mark number one. 
We seek our pride and our safety in Christ, not in this world. In verse 15, Paul says this, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. This is an echo of something that he had dictated in the previous chapter. In chapter 5, he said, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This is the root of the problem in the Galatian churches. How far does the love of God extend, and therefore how far does my love extend? Does the line, for the first century, it's, does the line stop at circumcision? I love all of those who are my brothers and sisters in Judaism, and I hate everybody else. Or is God now calling me to love beyond that border? Paul is revealing, the Holy Spirit is leading him, And he is leading the churches to realize that God has burst through that barrier that stood for centuries. The circumcision barrier. The barrier that separated the Jews from the Gentile. God has broken through that barrier in Jesus Christ. And now, He is calling all the Gentiles in. And therefore, He is calling all of His people to embrace each other. Galatians may have the greatest single verse to testify to this. It's a baptismal passage in Galatians chapter two. It's in Galatians chapter three, sorry, uh, and it's pretty familiar to you. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God loves the world. God calls us to love the world. Mark number two. If you're marked by Jesus Christ, you are, we are learning to love all those Christ calls us to love. That was really the issue. Is God really calling us into all the world, as Jesus said in the Great Commission? Is He really fulfilling those prophecies that say, you'll be a light to the nations? That all the Gentiles, all the nations will come streaming in and, and, and know about the Lord. Is that really happening? And does that mean that all those rules like circumcision that were set up in order to keep the Gentiles out, now they're no longer binding because we're wanting to bring the Gentiles in? Is that really true? Paul says yes. And we are now called to love those whom... Maybe we formerly called enemies. Church, who are you able to love? Every one of us is in process on this issue. I will 
I will testify. None of us has a heart that's big enough to love everyone that God wants us to love. But every one of us, to the extent we'll let God's Spirit work in us, to the extent we'll let God's Word speak to us, every one of us, God is moving to help us love more. He is moving to help me love more, to be more sympathetic, to be more caring, to be more concerned, to be less quick to condemn than I used to be. That's what He is working in my heart and in your heart to to create. He wants us to bring the world to Him. The world, as we reach the lost, we can't expect the lost to be all cleaned up and shiny like we all are right now. The world does not live on Sunday morning. Let's face it, we don't even live on Sunday morning. And as we bring the lost in, as we reach out to the lost, we're going to bring problems in. It's going to require us to say, yes, we're going to help you work through those issues. We're going to help you work through those lifestyle problems. We're going to help you work through those sins that you're struggling with. We're struggling too. But we know Christ loves you. Christ has commanded us to reach and bring you in. And so we are asking God to enlarge our hearts so that we can love you too. That's the second mark of Jesus Christ. That we love all those that Christ calls us to love. I was struck by this, verse 16. Galatians 6, verse 16. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. Now, in Galatians, Paul has made a several arguments. Some of them are way too long for me to put on your study sheet, but uh, on Wednesday nights we're going to be studying these. Paul has made several arguments to say, the old Israel, the Israel of the law of Moses, has now had its borders blown open to include the Gentiles. We are the new Israel, he says. We, the people who follow Jesus Christ in faith, we are the new Israel. We are God's people now. Chapter 3, verse 23 says, Before the coming of the faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now this faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. God is right now leading us into this new kingdom. That's what Paul is proclaiming. He is saying, yes, we've lived for centuries under the law of Moses. It is time to move into the fulfilled kingdom. That's his proclamation. There were people in the first century, people in the church, who said, we can't do that, Paul. We can't do that. We can't go there. We've got to keep those walls up. We've got to keep people separate that have always been separate. We can't go there, Paul. And Paul said, we have to. We are the new Israel. This is where God is leading. This is Mark number 3 for Paul. We are God's new Israel following wherever God leads. 
This is also a profound truth. In the first century, I think the people that struggled with this new reality that Paul was helping to reveal, and Peter was helping to reveal, Barnabas was helping to reveal, and so many were working with, the people that rebelled against that, struggled against it, I can kind of understand. They were kind of running back to what was familiar rather than stepping out in faith to where God was leading. I understand that. Let's run back to Judaism. Let's run back to what we're familiar with. But God was saying, let's move out. Let's bring in the people that are ready to be brought in. Jesus said the the fields are white, ready for harvest. What about today? Church, day by day, day after day, God's living Word is calling you and I into what's next. It really almost doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual walk. If you pick up this Word, if you pray, if you ask for God's guidance to understand what you're reading, to understand what you're being taught, then God will be calling you to what's next. It's tempting to run back to the old way of life. It's tempting to run back to what's familiar. It feels secure. It feels safe. We kind of are comfortable with the pain we're used to, you know. But God, God wants His people to always be on pilgrimage. It's interesting, when you read the prophets, God kind of looks back on the wilderness wandering with a bit of fondness because it was, it was kind of neat. There the people were and God's pillar of cloud and fire were right there. And, and when the fire moved out, the people moved out with it. Folks, God's Word calls us. It's different for each one of us. You know, probably, in a way none of the rest of us can know, what God is calling you to today. But if you're alert to God's Word, if you're alert to God's will, then you knew, you know right now what it is that God wants you to move into next. And as you move into God's kingdom deeper and deeper, that will change you. It leaves marks on your body. It leaves marks on your life. I don't, I don't know exactly how the afterlife works. I will admit that to you. I used to know way more than I do now. I'll just tell you. I was so sure when I was 22, man, with a newly minted Bible degree from OCC. Man, I knew it all. So I'm not sure about this next thing. I kind of am of the opinion that, that Paul has already met Jesus Christ. Maybe it won't happen until the general resurrection. We'll all meet him together. But, but I kind of think they've already met. And what do you think that meeting was like? 
Reading this, this verse right here, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Do you think at some point in the meeting between Jesus Christ and Paul, Paul said, look at the scars I got for you. Do you imagine that? Look at what my body looks like because I served you. I kind of think so. And I kind of think Jesus said, I know. And when I thought that, I realized something else. You, yeah, you, you can't get through this life without scars. This life is going to scar you. And this is Jesus' world, but there is a battle going on. And if you're here trying to live for Jesus Christ, you're going to have marks when all is said and done. And won't that be interesting? When you meet Jesus, it's going to be a lot of stuff you say. It may take a while, maybe a few million years, but eventually you're going to show Jesus your scars. And He's going to show you His. And the things that you're suffering right now, the things that are hurting you so much right now, it may turn out that those are your proudest badges of honor in the kingdom of God. I bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants you to follow Him. Wherever He leads, He wants you to follow Him. If you need to respond to His invitation, if you need to be baptized today, or if you need prayer,